Hi, this is Mike Balaban. You're listening to Banner, building communities through storytelling and sharing the LGBT experience. My guest today on Banner and Me is Joel Tucker, originally from Roanoke, Virginia, now living in Fort Lauderdale. Joel and I met a year ago when I came down to Fort Lauderdale for a Stonewall Museum board meeting, and I'm back again this year for the same reason. And we wanted to get his story out to our audience. Joel, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Really glad to have you. Joel had an interesting life for a lot of reasons, but today we're going to focus mostly on one event that happened to him almost 20 years ago. He was in a bar in Roanoke, Virginia, when an anti-gay terrorist came in and shot up the place, and he happened to be one of the victims. But let's go back and start before that, Joel. Tell us about your background, where you grew up, you know, kind of set the stage for what brought you to that place at that time. I was born in Bobbitt County in Virginia, in a little community called Glen Wilton. There's probably about 100 people in that town. And uh, I was the paper boy from the age of 11 to 18, so I knew everything in that little town about everybody, and there was a lot of secrets in that town, believe it or not. But I also um, ended up starting to work at UPS when I was 18, and so I worked for UPS at night, and then I got a job with the railroad during the day and did that for six years. I think one of the reasons why I did that was to try to deal with my feelings because I knew I was gay, and it was something that was just unheard of in that community and that area, Virginia. So I worked a lot, and the railroad laid me off indefinitely in the late 80s, and I got a promotion at UPS in the the late 80s. And so you went to full-time work there at that point? Well, actually, it was not at that point, but in the early 1990s, I I got a full-time supervisory position at UPS. And let me just level set for the audience. You were born when? 1960, May the 18th. Okay, and so that meant when you started working with uh, UPS and the railroad, it was like 1978 or so? 78. Yeah, and so until the late 80s with the, with, uh, the railroad, and then the late 80s, early 90s, you segued over to, to yes, UPS. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So what was it like being gay in Bottleneck County? What's the name? Bottetot. Bottetot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people say Bottetot, but uh-huh. Bottetot County is a, it's a very historic county. That area, but it was interesting. It was hard to be quite honest. And it, you know, I was scared half to death about being who I was and had to hide it. And I would go to Roanoke in the '80s and go to a little bar called the uh, Last Straw, and I would sneak in the door, hope, hoping that no one would see me. And you know, and it was just really, really a torturous kind of a lifestyle in that area because, you know, they had a big bar called The Park where people would go in and stand in line and people would drive by in their cars and yell and cuss them and call them fags and, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, then there was the other bar, the Backstreet Cafe, that was in, in between the, the two bars. The Park was the big bar, and then the last trial, but in the middle was the Backstreet Cafe. That's where we used to go and play pool and drink beer and just kind of, that was our little hideaway from the world, basically. So this, just to, to give perspective, Roanoke is in western Virginia, I believe? Southwest Virginia. Southwest Virginia, near the Tennessee border? Actually, it's closer to West Virginia, like okay. an uh, hour and a half from West Virginia, three hours from Tennessee, and actually only four hours from D.C., and yeah. three hours from Richmond. But it's, that, I would say, is one of the more conservative parts of the country, wouldn't you? Yeah. But ironically, Roanoke, the city proper, is very democratic, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Because of the gay community, there's a lot of gay people there. Right. That is a 
come out like they used to. Right. So at the point when this event we're about to discuss happened, this was September 2000? September the 22nd. And ironically, on September the 1st of 2000, I got promoted from a training supervisor to a human resources representative on the 1st of September. And my position at UPS was to be a human resources representative where I do the hiring and any kind of discipline and all that stuff for UPS for like not only Roanoke, but Roanoke, Lynchburg, Danville, Dublin, and Richlands, Virginia, which is like the whole southwestern part of the state. And um, so it was a big deal. It was. Yeah. So three weeks part. later, three weeks later, my then partner and I were going to go to the Backstreet Cafe to have a, a beer and shoot some pool. And we saw two friends of us at the stoplight pull up, two girls. We said, what are y'all doing? And they, they said, well, we're just hanging out. I said, let's go meet at the back street. They, we met at the back street. Saturday evening? Friday night. Friday night. About 11 o'clock. Well, it was about 10.30 when we met. But so we went into the bar. It was myself, my ex-partner, and the two girls. And one of the girls and I went up to the chalkboard to put her name up to shoot pool. And we sat back down, and I noticed the guy walked in. Uh, with a trench coat and a, a gray beard. And he seemed like he was out of place to me. I mean, I just thought it was kind of weird. And I, he ordered a beer. And I remember he sat down, but I had my back to him. But then, for some reason, I looked up, and he standing by the, the exit, the door, and he pulled out a – I mean, I didn't see him pull the gun out. But he, what happened was he pulled out a 9 millimeter and just started shooting. And I could see the actual – light coming from the gun, you know, like the sparks, I right. guess, from the, the casings. I screamed, everybody get out. And I jumped up, and there was a girl standing there, and I grabbed her and knocked her down. And I said, get out, and it was over. I mean, it happened so fast, and there was people laying around. I mean, he, he did seven shots, and he got seven people. And one of the people was a friend of mine, Danny Overstreet. He, got, he, he died, and uh, he shot four women and three guys. But you're missing the, the part that most directly affected you. Uh, he shot me in the back, um, missed my spine by like a quarter of an inch, and the bullet actually stayed in my back. I was, and my ex-partner, he was just going crazy, screaming. And, I mean, he was making me like have a heart attack just looking into him. And I uh, told him to get back up there and deal with it. Because one of my girlfriends there, she got shot too. I remember I was sitting back there, and I, I reached back, and I could feel a stinging. I didn't even know I was shot until I reached back there behind my belt line on my, my back, and I had blood all over my hands. So you had been actually facing away from the shooter in a booth? Yes, I think the bullet went through the booth right. before it hit me in the back. So you're basically, you'd seen the shooter. You looked out of place. You then sat down in the booth. And it all started with you facing away. And were you one of the first to get shot? I was like, the, I think they were like the third or fourth okay. one. Because so, he shot Danny, then he shot John, and then he shot me, then he shot Sue, and then he shot the other three. Did guys. you hear the first shots before? That's when I turned around my phone. Right. It sounded like, you know, like firecrackers. Right. And then I could see the, the fires coming from the gun. So I ended up, I had a leather jacket that I had just taken off, and I pushed it down into the seat. And that bullet went through that leather jacket and put five holes in it. So that kind of helped slow it down, too. Gotcha. So, I mean, I guess it wasn't my time because, you know, I went to the hospital. 
Well, when they talk about a matter of inches, in your case, it's literally the case. Yeah. So what, I remember you telling me you, you basically bear hug that woman to the ground yeah. and, and protect her. Weren't you putting yourself directly in the line of fire when you were doing that? I did. And did you even think about that at the no, time? I was just trying to make everybody just get down and right. get out of the way. It's like, yeah. you know, there was, I guess, instinct. And how did, you know, after you jumped on top of her and the shooter's still standing there, how you, did you not get shot? Again, did no, he get, just just one time he got me. But did he get jumped by other people? Or no, he, he just walked out. They said he had another clip in his gun, but for his gun, but he it, I don't know if it jammed or he didn't put it. I don't know. He just he calmly walks out the door, and the the bartender or the manager locks the door right. and calls nine one one. But you know, from what they say in, in historical you know paper and all that, he uh, took the gun and put it in the trash can. But they caught him. How? Well, the, he was walking down the street. And uh, what happened was, let me back up a little bit. Yeah. Before he came to Back Street, he went to this bar called Corn Beef and Company. And he was talking to some guy that was throwing out the trash. And he goes, uh, I'm trying to find a gay bar so I can waste some faggots. That's what he said to this guy. And so the guy goes, well, the park's up the street. <laughs> the guy told him that. Yeah. So he just stopped off at the back street before he was going to go to the park. It could have been a, a lot worse than what it was. but Because he, the park was much more traffic. Huge. Hundreds of people in there. Yeah. So the guy that he said that to called the police. Oh, good. Yeah. But it was too late. I yeah. mean, he'd already walked into the back street and, and shot up everybody and then walked out. And, and the reason why he did it is because his name was Ronald Gay, and he said he, and he was a homeless veteran, but he was upset because everybody made fun of his last name. Right. You know, why don't you just change your last name instead of killing people? You right. Know? But um, he had, he must have had a lot of mental issues, evidently. So they but, caught him, took him to trial, and what happened to him? Well, he got four life terms. He did try to get out on geriatric parole, and I don't think that happened because they asked me to come up there. As a, as a witness? Yeah. 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 Did you do it? I did. Yeah. But he, uh, no, I didn't go. I went to the, the sentencing. Right. I'm sorry. But it was just, it was it was just crazy the whole thing. So you know, it just catapulted me right into the you know international news. You mean that you mean that event happening on September twenty yeah, second? Yeah. So tell us, okay. So now you've been shot. Uh, the medics and people come in, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's being tended to. Your friend Dan. Dan was Dan dead. was I, dead. I had to step over top. The, the, the medic came in and got me. Yeah. And I stepped over top of Danny. I saw him laying there. But they set us all out, the ones that were shot that could... That were mobile. Yeah, set them outside. Right. And, the, and then the rescue squads came and took us to the hospitals. They did an MRI on me. And they said that I was very, very lucky because that bullet missed my spine by like a quarter of an inch. And it went to the right, but it stayed in my back. It was like... I couldn't believe this was happening. Was Why, now, I understand that the bullets remained in your back for a month. Why weren't they able to, to get it out? Because it was, um, it had to work its way out. Ah. Like the body had to be rejected. It. it had to be rejected by my body. So right. I was in the hospital, and um, the news, I don't know how the newspaper got, somebody in the hospital gave the newspaper my, my room number, and the newspaper called me, and I was on morphine. They wanted to do a story, and then I and, and I did some I said some things that I really wish I never would have said because I was scared. I mean, I just got promoted to UPS closeted, and and I wasn't out to my family. I mean, they probably knew that I was, but you know, it was never discussed at work. Everybody was hush hush, but 
I told them that I was there with my girlfriend and I wasn't gay. I got a lot of backlash from the, the community from that. From the gay community because yeah. you weren't open and honest yeah. about it. I mean, I was scared. I mean, what do you do? For one person in a bar one night said something to me that about, you know, you, you lied and said that you were not gay. I said, let me tell you something. Why don't you get your ass shot up in a gay bar and I don't work at Burger King, okay? <laughs> you know, and see how you react. At a time when corporations weren't all necessarily yeah. supportive, right? I mean, well, UPS, they were very supportive. There was a few people at work that kind of said stuff behind my back, and I heard a few people say something like that I lied and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's like, you know what? Just be in my shoes and see what happens. But, you know, I was laying there, and the paper called, and I told him that. And While you were in the hospital. Yeah, bed. and I was laying in the hospital bed, and, um, and I told him that I was there with her, a, a, a friend girlfriend and um so then my brother came in a, a little bit later and it just you know it just kept getting worse i mean the the, the news the i had san francisco gay newspaper i did do an article for that guy actually from san francisco and how did um, your brother react it didn't bother him okay. i mean he he gave me a big hug and um my dad came and you know of course the family showed up and you know they they, they didn't know how to react it may have been in the back of their minds, but, I mean, just completely out of me to everyone. Net-net, other than the few people at work that kind of either said things like, oh, you lied, or yeah. maybe were kind of less close to you, would you say on balance that most of the world and your company were supportive? Yeah, absolutely. Did you feel freed up in some way by that? I did. But, you know, being paranoid and just getting promoted and um, the family and all that stuff, I was so paranoid that I had a bullet in my back. I actually, and I don't know how I did this, but I was in the hospital Friday night. I was in the hospital Saturday, so they wanted to make sure there wasn't anything wrong. They let me out on Sunday, and I don't know how I did this, but I went to work on Monday. Didn't miss a day of work. The only day I missed is when they cut the bullet out. And I was walk, barely walking across the parking lot. I somehow walked, and they say, what are you doing here? I said, I got a job to do. <laughs> Superman. But let me just tell you why I did that. The reason why I did that is because if I had not went back to work that day, the paranoia in my head would have, I probably never would have went back to that job. You felt you had to kind of puncture it by I, going? I had to do it. I had to do it, and I did it. And, I, and you worked that day? I worked for like half a day, yeah. and then I worked. I just went. I, I just kept working, and I mean, it was a very busy time. UPS getting ready to hire for Christmas season. And it was my first, you know, my first year, my first week, two yeah. weeks at Human Resources. Yeah. And they actually the Human Resources manager came from Richmond. And he said, Joel, we don't care about whatever your life is. I've got friends that are gay that, I, that are my best friends. And, they, I mean, they were so supportive. They really were. Long story short, UPS was very good to me. So on balance, your life actually may have improved to a certain degree. I think it did. And I wish that I would have been more open I really didn't talk much about the shooting, sadly, until actually when I retired. This lady, Liza Monday from the Washington Post, she came to Roanoke and did a whole huge story about um, the Backstreet shooting. I mean, she did a whole, like a magazine. At the time when it happened or later? No, it was close to when it happened. Right. She found out about me. She and I met, and I told her about, what happened to me and, you know, and all that stuff and background, kind of like what I'm telling you. And she says, Joel, 
I will scrap this story about all these people around us. I want to do a complete story on you and what happened to you and your life. I'm like, I can't do that. Because so, you were still more or less concerned about Yeah, about everything. Right. Know, just paranoid, I guess. And, but not quite honestly, after I retired is when I did this story for the Story Corps. For NPR. Yeah, and uh, the Washington Post did a story. Right. About the Do you find you're contacted now, you know, a lot by either mainstream or LGTB organizations to, uh, to come on, especially with the anniversaries of the Baxter shooting, which this year is twenty years, but any shooting is so commonplace anymore, it's just like, you know, but they did say that the Backstreet shooting was the worst hate crime in a gay bar in the United States before the pulse. Right. So that was sad but true. Uh, that's what they say. So Pulse happened how many years ago, do you? Uh, Maybe four or five? Yeah. And w- what happened when they, when you got news of that? I was here. I was like, when I heard about it, I'm like, oh, my God. And then I kept thinking, it's just like it all happened, what happened in Roanoke, but just a bigger, worse, you know, I mean, so many more people got killed. And it was like, it just all came back to me. It's like, I can still see that gun with the fire coming out of it, and I can see that guy's face, and I can see my friends laying there. You know, Sue got shot in the hip. The bullet came out of her thigh. And one lady got shot in her face and then went through her temple, and the guy got shot in his head had the colonoscopy bag because he got shot in the stomach, and, of course, Danny passed away. And I mean, and, and I can just imagine what those people went through at the Pulse, and I watched the videos, and it just, just tore me up. What was the look on the shooter's face? Was it blank or was it blind? Yeah. He looked like he was not even there to me. Yeah. You know, it just, it was weird. I mean, it's like, how can anybody just have so much hate in their heart? You know, it just blows me away that people are that ugly and mean. And, you know, if if you got that kind of an issue, go get help. Don't kill people. That's ridiculous. Well, particularly when people that know those with issues don't say anything about it. Yeah. And they end up later on doing damage. It's really a travesty. Yeah. What, if any, kind of flashbacks do you have just out of the, out of the, 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 the you know, just normally? Well, for, for years, I wouldn't sit with my back to the door of a bar or a restaurant, you know, just yeah. so I could see. Yeah. And I was paranoid about that. You know, and UPS, I mean, there was... Over the, I mean, over the years afterwards, I was I became a really big community service advocate for UPS. Right. They, and I mean, we helped a lot of people at UPS, and they embraced me. And I mean, when I left that company, they gave me the biggest retirement send off that I've ever seen. Sounds like it for for a company like that. It was fairly progressive for the times. They were. Yeah. I mean, UPS has always been about diversity, but I mean, you're going to be. I mean, it's a trucking company. Right. Redneck. Right. You know. I mean, that's. That, that's me. I'm a redneck. You know? So I was in a trucking company, and I have to tell you, it was really kind of funny. When I got shot, two of the drivers that I, I, that used to work for me when I was a delivery supervisor, they came to my house, and they brought me a fruit basket. They said, we thought this would be a crazy <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, I thought that was so Better nice. than flowers. Yeah, <laughs> a fruit basket. You know, fruit. I'm just saying. I thought that was funny, and it was kind of cute. And it's it told me that they accepted right. me. And you know, one thing I, I will say about 
the whole gay thing and all this. It's like, don't tolerate me. Because you know what? I might not tolerate you. So don't ever say that you tolerate my lifestyle. Right. That really pisses me off. Either accept it or not. Yeah. And I will say that when I went back to work at Monday, and I, the only day I missed was when I was in the hospital, when they cut the bullet out. It was kind of funny because my ass was, like, sticking up. And there was two cops in there, and the doctor. And the doctor, he uh, he cut the bullet out, and they and they they made me. He says this bullet is being extracted from Mr. Tucker's back. And the two cops are standing there, and the one cop said, "Do you see this bullet on these tweezers?" I said, "Yes." He goes, "Do you hear it dropping into into this cup?" And I said, "Yeah." It's like, oh my God, they're cutting my ass out, you know? Something that was kind of a funny thing too, just just to see them all looking at my butt while I was you know, getting about a bullet cut out of it. Now, you're in a, a fairly small community. Do you know any of these people? Well, you know, ironically, one of the police officers that helped me out, yeah. he moved to D.C., and years later, he contacted me, and he told me, he said, Joe, I, I just want to let you know that I was there when you got shot, and he says I was one of the responding officers, and he says, and I'm gay. Wow. He said, you know, you're an inspiration. I mean, if I hadn't got up and went back to work, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. Yes. So thanks God I, well, I did let it, I let it get behind me. I mean, I do have times when I feel I can feel like you know, I get scared because, right. you know, you don't know who's going to shoot you. So the thought running through my mind is on some level, has it made you appreciate life more? You know, is oh, it giving yeah. you, is it giving you some kind of perspective that if it hadn't happened to you, you wouldn't have? Exactly. I mean, if, I mean, I could have been one dead, two confined to a wheelchair, you think about Danny and the other people that are gone, and here I am living life, very lucky, and, you know, I have a lot of good friends, and I try to help the community as much as I can. You know, I've done a lot of community service stuff and uh, try to give back and try to be a good person. You know, you just have to keep going. I mean, did you ever have any or need any therapy? I did go to a therapist for a little while, and we talked about it, but it's hard to explain how you feel. And, I, and I, I will tell you this one thing that really upset me is I had a sister. She, when I turned 55, I mean, this is like 15 years after I got shot, that her and her husband came to my house. I was showing them my yard and my flowers, and then I gave her a little gift, and she said, I've got something for you. And she gave me this manila envelope. She said, I want you to read this, but don't read it until I leave. She wrote me a letter, handwritten, and there was a CD in there. And I looked at the CD. It said, homosexuality, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the letter was like, I've been fighting with God. You know, what you what you are is evil, and I love you, but you've got to... Lo- love the sinner, but hate the sin? Exactly. I was so upset that she had the audacity to do that. I speak to her for two years. And I did put a little thing on Facebook, and 500 people commented against her for doing that because she was like judge, jury, and executioner right. about my lifestyle. And, you know, how dare her even think about what I do? I mean, who cares what you do in your own home anyway? But long story short, we, we made up on my other sister's deathbed because I, I finally I just said, you know what? You never want to change. She's very religious. I mean, And she hasn't changed a bit in no, terms of that perspective? No, not at all. Didn't Jerry Falwell come from your area of the country? Yeah, he's from Lynchburg. It's one hour from Walnut. God help us. <laughs> so basically, you came through this, I don't want to say unscathed, but temporarily scathed. Yeah, I was. And emotionally, you're not any the worse off. No. 
it's giving you kind of a maybe even a healthy perspective on life. Yeah, absolutely. An appreciation for it. It, it does. It does. I, I do have. I like to paint. I love my hanging out with my friends and all that. And I've met several of your friends. Actually, you've got a whole crew from Roanoke here, right? Yeah, there's a lot of Roanoke people here. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should let everyone know. You spend kind of half your time in, in Roanoke still, yeah, half here in Fort Lauderdale. And Fort Lauderdale has kind of become a beacon for retirement, certainly for gay men of a certain age. Exactly. How, how do you find living in Fort Lauderdale? What's your experience here? I don't think it's easy to find a boyfriend in the town, as many people as it is, mm -hmm. because everybody, this is just my opinion, but, it seems like everybody thinks there's always something, somebody better on the other side of the bar or something. How about friends? Friends are great. I got some wonderful friends. Right. I mean, a lot yeah. of friends. But as far as uh, a soulmate, or I mean, maybe it would happen. But I mean, I'm not looking. But um, it's just it's very hard to yeah. get a relationship in this town. Yeah, but I, I, if you're like me, relationships are wonderful, but you don't need one to be happy. Exactly. And my friend Gordon, he said this to me, and it's a very good point. He said, the worst thing than being alone is wishing that you were. Right. But, uh, you know, and I've met a few people here that I've dated that just it never went good. So, well, I, I like to say that, you know, there, there's no lonelier feeling than being in a relationship that's not working. Exactly. So, you know, you got to be open and honest. Tell the truth. Right. No. So how old are you now? I'll, I'll be 60 in May. And you've been living here part-time for? Four years. Four years. Mm -hmm. And 20 years after the back street. after the back street. If you had to kind of sum up when frames, is anything you'd have to say? From the back street shooting, this is what be, would be my statement. Don't give up. you got to get up, get back to work, and you need to live your life the way you want to live it and not live it for other people. Love wins. Yeah. Well, you've had a lot of people from the shooter to your, is your sister, but it doesn't seem like you've allowed it to deter you. No. Well, you know, when I met you last year, I was struck both by, obviously, the horror of what happened to you, but also by the fact that you don't appear to have been phased by it, that you've got a, an, a really robust attitude in life. And you tell me you're an introvert, but I certainly don't see an example of that in our interactions or the people I've seen you talking to. Well, I used to be. <laughs> So I just wanted the chance to get this interview with you. So unfortunately, we know there's going to be another event someday like, like the Backstreet. Yeah. And we need to have your testimony there available to tell people to hopefully not let it interfere with their ability to move forward. I mean, and you could dwell on it forever, and it, it, it'll just make you miserable. You know, you don't want to, I mean, I don't want to be miserable. I'm going to have fun while I'm still being able to walk and, you know, get around. So... You know, you got a long road ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time with us, Joel. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to spending more time with you. Yeah, great. Thank you. This episode of Bammer and Me has been produced by Mike Balaban and Tom Walker. For more stories, go to bammer.co.